DoSomething.org is one of the largest global organizations inspiring young people to create social change. The group tackles volunteer campaigns that impact every cause from poverty to discrimination to the environment and everything in between. Their CEO, Aria Finger, joined the organization in 2005, working as an associate on various aspects of a campaign. Since then, she's helped to grow Do Something's membership to over 5 million in 130 countries. Aria is joining us today on All Business to discuss business behind making an impact. Welcome, Aria. He's one of the world's most respected business experts, Jeffrey Hazlett. I want to take you behind the scenes on what's happening in business today. And whether you're on Main Street or Wall Street, we're going to find out the secrets behind their success. This is All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, first off, I have to ask you, I read in your bio you were valedictorian in high school, which is that means you're really smart. Well, where where'd you go to high school? I went to Fox Lane High School. I grew up in Mount Kisco, New York. Oh, so you're you're kind of local because uh, we're here. We're both here in New York now. Yeah, absolutely. I, I grew up in the Bronx and then Mount Kisco, and now I live in Brooklyn. Oh, fantastic! You know, when I sit here and look at what you're building and what you're doing, you know, when if you have a business, you measure it by profit and losses. So, how do you measure success with all the things that you're doing there? with the charity work? So obviously we need to measure uh, profit and loss to make sure that we're uh, keeping the lights on and getting the bills paid, but our primary motivation here is social change. And so every not-for-profit measures that differently, whether you're you know, saving lives or educating young people. And here at Do Something, we have two primary methods. Uh, and first is the young people themselves. How many young people are volunteering with Do Something? And the second is what impact are they having? And, you know, just in last year alone, we had our young people close half of all homeless kids in America. We had them pick up four million cigarette butts from parks and train stations and beaches across the country. So, Everything we do uh, affects both young people and then the causes that they care about. So you mentioned the word social change. What do you mean by the word social change or words social change? Making the world a better place. And, you know, the great thing about Do Something is we are cause agnostic. So whether you care about global poverty or the environment or heart disease or women's technology education, um, we don't care. We love that you're passionate about something. And so Do Something just enables young people to make social change, to take action on that cause that they're really passionate about. Don't you think that's always been available before? And why is it different now? Oh, absolutely. It hasn't always been available. Um, just think about the fact that you, um, you know, need to be 18 to, you know, donate blood or be a bone marrow donor or whatever it might be. Um, just think about the fact that in most places you need to drive to the volunteer activity that you have and only a third of 16-year-olds have a license. So there's a lot of barriers to young people um, volunteering, and we try to remove those barriers. Um, and also, I think all of us want to take action. Um, we might not know what to do. So do something also ensures that the action that you're taking uh, will make the world, will actually make the world a better place, will have a real impact. Yeah, which is very cool. Well, why do you think, Aria, that, that there is so much of this and so much focus right now, I think, on cause? Get up, I look today... I think there's more young people who are more active than ever before. I think they're more vocal than they've ever been before. 
Why do you why do you think there's so much focus on this today? Well, the short answer is do something. Mm-hmm. We've been at this for 23 years, and I, I, I truly believe that we have helped along this um, this cultural shift. Um, but honestly, I think that every person wants to do something, mm-hmm. and we just need to you know make it culturally and socially acceptable to do so. And so that's what we are working towards. We're making volunteering just as exciting and fun and cool and all those things as uh, as anything else. Do you think do you think there's a resurgent uh, partly because of technology? I mean, it's easier to pull these folks together, pull the young people together. Yeah, you know, I think that's a great point. A lot of people talk about the dangers of text messaging and social networks and sort of all the negative things that technology brings to young people. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly we need to be uh, vigilant. But I agree with you. Technology also brings people closer together uh, and makes people feel less alone and makes, you know, the liberal, uh, you know, gay kid in Kentucky be able to see that there's other people like him. And so that, you know, he can reach out and have a network and that he can, you know, try to change the world as opposed to, you know, being alone, whereas 100 years ago, he might have felt pretty, um, pretty out of place. Yeah, because I've always said that with social media, those, it always existed before. It was just the chess club or the, you know, Klingon club, or it could have been any club, but, you know, for that matter, you know, but now that you can just reach out and be, like someone else in another part of the world and you can find out hey it's not just me carried about the environment it's uh, it's this other person in georgia or in west virginia or somewhere else and that's i think i think technology's had a big part of it let me ask you something about um as well the affluency because i think that's also something do you think it's also because younger people um today have a little bit more privilege than they used to be in the past or and when i say privilege i'm not saying in a bad way i'm trying to say they've got more money than they used to they have more access to funds they have more access to time and things than they used to in the past well i don't necessarily think that's true i mean if you look at you know now compared to 30 years ago um the average you know middle class family in america is not any better off than they were 30 years ago so, you know, if, if you look at versus 200 years ago, perhaps. So I actually don't think it's driven by affluence. Um, there's certainly, we see across our network, young people who are in, um, you know, low-income neighborhoods, just as well as high-income neighborhoods volunteering um, and volunteering at, at similar rates. Um, I would also say to the time issue, um, young people sort of feel more um, time pressure than ever, um, whether that's you know, getting into college or figuring out how to pay for college or sort of any of those things. So I actually do think there's quite a lot of time and money pressure on, you know, high school students and college students these days. Mm-hmm. So I always go back out to fan questions, and you guys have got a lot of people who are engaged well over, what, over 5 million now today? Yeah, yeah, we just passed 5 million last week. We couldn't be more excited. <laughs> that's, that's always a good number. You know, whatever you, you, each number, but there's always these levels, and so 5 million – well, congratulations. That's pretty cool. Thanks. That's big. So I, I ask my fans, I always say, hey, I've got uh, I've got Aria coming. I've got this person coming on the show. And what questions do you have uh, for them? And so Joe Schmidt wrote, and he says, our, I thought this was a great question. He goes, our company is searching for ideas to engage our employees with local charities. Any suggestions or process on how to get off the ground and make it stick would be great. One, I would say, um, really respect the organization's time and value that you want to volunteer for. Um, You know, I recently heard someone complain. They were saying, you know, oh, 
I called this charity and, you know, I wanted to have 500 of my employees volunteer there and, you know, they, they were going to charge me for it, which I thought was ridiculous. Um, and my response was, you know, how would you for-profit company feel if 500 untrained folks showed up at your place of business at 2 p.m. and wanted you to engage them for 45 minutes and then say thank you? Um, so I actually think sometimes volunteering can be really tricky. Um, and it's hard to figure out um, ways for people to volunteer. So first and foremost, I would say make sure that the, the places you're volunteering with, you're really respecting their time and their value and their energy, because I think that's critically important for each uh, folk to come to the table with an understanding of what the other brings. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, I would um, just encourage him that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Figure out what would make the most sense for um, his employee base. Um, do they have specific causes they're passionate about? Um, could they vote on it? Could they, you know, could, could there be some sort of consensus what, or, or should they go at different places? Whatever it might be, you're always going to be more excited when you're, you know, following something you're passionate about. Yeah. I, I think that's a great, great suggestion in terms of make sure your value, values and, and also the resources you're given, make sure it lines up because you could you can almost overwhelm a, a nonprofit group, right? I mean, that, oh, people do it all the time. Yeah, yeah, just give. I have too much to give to you, and you, you just can't handle it. Wow, that's a good way to think through it. You know, I got to be honest with you, Ari. I didn't know much about the organization until my team came to me. And they said, you're doing the show. And I said, well, why? Who, who are they? What? And they, they were all, they knew everybody that was under the age of 27 knew who you guys were in my operation. All right, we're doing something, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they were like, no, you're doing this interview. This is, she's coming on and we're getting her. And this is what it was. Not that I was fighting it, but it was, I just said, well, Jesus, this isn't normal what we'd have. I mean, this is about nonprofits, it's about charities. Normally we're about business, but there's, they said there's a lot of parallels, Jeff. And I said, absolutely. So uh, Yamini, who is in our office, and she did, had done some stuff for you guys years and years ago, she goes, uh, she asked this question. She wanted me to ask this question. Did you expect um, to do something to become such a nonprofit organization that thousands of millennials and Gen Z want to be a part of? Did you guys realize how big it was going to be? We had always hoped. I mean, when I started to do something 11 years ago, we were a six-person organization, and, you know, this was the year before Facebook and the year after Friendster. Um, you know, Airbnb and Uber and all these other sharing economy uh, startups were a glimmer in people's eye. And so this was sort of before the um, this latest crop of tech startups, and, and that's what I would sort of most closely associate us with is a tech startup. Half of our team is either technology, product, or data. Um, We're very, very product and bottom line focused. And so at the time, no. I mean, we had big ambitions. And we, you know, thought we could be the largest organization for young people and social change, but we certainly didn't know how to get there. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm surprised, um, but I am very, very excited that we've been accomplishing some of our long-term goals. But we also know that there is a long way to go. And again, I think that, you know, just because we have two bottom lines instead of one, um, it doesn't mean we don't operate, you know, anywhere near as rigorously as anyone else. Um, You know, we have to work twice as hard because we have two bottom lines to look at. All right. I need to take a little bit of a break. Well, this ties into you guys because I've got the good friends at Liberty Tax on board all business and they're the fastest growing retail tax preparation firm in North America, and it's a great seasonal opportunity as well. So don't forget, um, you know, make a, de- uh, make a donation. It's tax deductible, and you, as, as is your time, especially in a business. So um, Liberty Tax Guys can help out with that. Uh, Yamini went on to ask, and sh- uh, she goes, uh, and, and I was looking at some of the stuff that you're doing, um, 
how do you stay up on all the trends on social media with the ever-changing landscape you know like especially like snapchat and because i know that you use snapchat and instagram a lot how do you stay up on all that so one way is just keeping in touch with our market. So at any given time, Do Something has 20 to 25 paid college interns in our office, mm. um, both you know during the fall, spring, summer, and I think that's a fantastic way to keep up on everything college. Um, we also have a pretty young employee base, which certainly keeps us on our toes. Um, and then it's always just listening to our members. You know, when we're talking to our members, we're asking them what are the platforms we should be on. If we're texting them, it should be on Snapchat. Should we download after school? Sort of what is the latest thing that's going on there? Um, you know, our members actually recently have been telling us about this new app called After School, and we'd never heard of it. And then when we looked it up, it was we found out it was on 75% of high school campuses across the United States. And we recently um, inked a partnership with After School because we knew if that's where high school students are, that's where we need to be. Yeah, that's a smart move. Go to where the the food is, not to the desert. You know, go right. Absolutely. To where the yeah. So how how do you how do you um, how do you select interns? How do you get people active at that level? Well, we actually don't have a problem. We have over 4,000 um, applications for our 25 spots this coming summer. So it's actually more difficult to get a do something internship than it is to get into Stanford, Harvard, uh, or you, you name any uh, you know elite college. And so I think, again, for us, the hardest part is, oh, my God, there's 4,000 incredible young people. Um, how do we decide? Um, but we, of course, look for passion, but that's just, you know, table stakes. That's necessary, but not sufficient. After passion, they have to have the skills that we require, whether it's a marketing internship and they understand analytics or a technology internship and, you know, they can code in Drupal or whatever it might be. Uh, that's really critical. And it's a really big hiring pipeline for us. So we want to make sure that we're getting the best of the best. And so another thing I noticed, I was looking at your website, you had a, on your board of directors, I think it said, old people who help us a lot and I thought yeah that, I thought that was a, a great way to be able to put it and you got you know you got Reed Hoffman and um, a whole bunch of other folks that are on the board how, how do you use that um, that wealth of knowledge how do you tap your board um, to be able to help you you know, our board is really important, and I'd say that they're sort of really important in three different ways. Um, one is big picture strategy. You know, they're um, listening to us, hearing what we're talking about, and making sure that we have that strategic plan going forward. Um, two is introducing us to the best of the best. So whether it's a, you know, Steve Buffone, the chair of our board, who's at a law firm here in New York, to make sure that we have the best legal counsel possible, or Reed Hoffman out in the Valley, who's making sure we're talking to the heads of, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, um, what have you. Um, and then third, of course, is um, financial. You know, we're a not-for-profit, and so we expect our board of directors to help us in fundraising. So they're introducing us to um, companies that are making, you know, strategic bets to sponsor Do Something campaigns because these companies want to reach young people, and they recognize that Do Something is the best possible way to reach young people. So the board is facilitating some of those conversations. What, what do you see as your biggest challenge for the organization itself? Is it to is it focus? Because I see the uh, tons and tons of projects that you work on, and you know many of, uh, without question, very successful. So what's what's the biggest challenge, Aria, that you face? 
Our challenge right now, honestly, is our global expansion. We have members in 131 countries. And so figuring out all the nuances, you know, just, just from the start of it, it's, you know, we use SMS and text messaging as a really large way to communicate with our membership here in the United States. Um, but in every country, we have to set up a separate short code and a separate way of communicating via SMS. Not to mention the fact that, you know, a young person in Iraq might have very different ideas than a young person in Nepal or a young person in Australia about how to take action. So we're currently figuring out how to create locally relevant campaigns in each of these um, in each of these geographies and making sure that, you know, the do something uh, brand and experience is just as strong there as it is here in the U.S. Do you have issues where in one part of the world somebody wants to do something but it really conflicts with another part of the world? Not really. You know what? Those That tough stuff, leave it to adults. We've really found out that um, young people just want to make the world a better place. And so some of these sort of more political issues or um, thornier issues that you probably hear political candidates fighting about, um, our young people just say, forget it. We want to, you know, we want to close the homeless. We want to feed the hungry. We want to make sure that there's no discrimination. And they just focus on the positive. And I think that's one of the things that um, – you know, gets me up each day is the positivity, uh, you know, and passion of these young people. Yeah, which is really cool because they're just die- – it's at the fundamentals, right? I mean, it's not at all the other, I would say, bullshit that you sometimes get when we get a little bit there older. There you go. Yeah. It's just really saying it's right down to the core of, like, this is the basic needs of people, and let's get to that. I think that's great. You know, Curtis Bain wrote in and says, why do you limit your organization to just young people? I thought this was a good question. So the reason we uh, limit it to just young people is because young people have, again, unique challenges and unique things that they care about. And we can't be all things to all people. Um, You know, if we had uh, campaigns that were targeted at, you know, uh, senior citizens, then our young people wouldn't be excited about them. So I think in order to serve young people well, we have to just serve young people. And so I think it's really important to have a target market for what you're doing and making sure that you really understand what a high school or college student needs, um, you know, to get the job done. Even just high school and college students are so different that if we started serving, you know, 45-year-olds, we certainly wouldn't be doing as good of a job with the youth market. Mm-hmm. But, hey, if one of those old people wants to come to our website and participate in our campaigns, come on board. We don't mm-hmm. exclude anyone. Um, we are just sort of targeting young people because we see there's a real uh, need for us to fill. Is that, and that's always been part of your charter, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, from the beginning. So do you, do you think, what about the insights, though, from more experienced people that would help the organization grow? Is that the way you use it through the board, or do you use it in other ways? Yeah, we also have fantastic advisory boards. So we have a tech committee, a corporate committee, a finance committee, an international committee, a marketing committee. So we have so many smart, passionate, amazing old people, uh, and we take their free advice all day long. And so, again, we are one of the reasons we're so successful is because we're so lucky to have all of these experts um, who are helping us along the way. And I think that's one of the wonderful things that working at a not-for-profit is that you really do have people coming out of the woodwork trying to help you because, of course, they believe in what we're doing. And so they're, um, they're you know, willing us to give us their expertise. Yeah. So when you define old people, what are you talking about, people over 21 or – what, what, what's the definition of old people? In this yeah, case? I mean, pretty much anyone <laughs> over age 25. Yeah. You know, when you're 16 and you see someone who's 25, they're old. They're so old, my yeah. official title at Do Something is CEO and Chief Old Person, and, and I wear that proudly. Yeah. So let me. that's a great question. What about how do you answer that? 
because you yourself are over the cutoff age for do something. So yes, yeah. So I mean, I'm not trying to make an issue out of it. I just like to know how do you deal with that. I mean, you know, I'm one of the oldest people in the office, and I don't, I don't, I don't see it as a problem at all. You got plenty of men out there who are selling uh, clean and clear products to women. You have, uh, I think, what is actually key is just have diversity. No matter where you are, you want age diversity, you want racial diversity, you want religious diversity, uh, sort of every diversity you can have. And so that's why we do something. We have middle school interns that come in on Tuesday and Thursdays, you know, and we also have us uh, old folks who offer our perspective as well. Do you, you build the diversity into your plans? Oh, absolutely. Um, we, you know, just executed a staff survey where one of the things we really talked about was diversity and how to have, you know, more um, political and social diversity and sort of all those things because we've seen the research. And um, the research shows that when you have more diverse teams, you have better outcomes. And so we want the best outcomes possible. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I, uh, so how do you put that in place? How do you how do you think through that and not be too diverse, but yet be diverse diverse enough? Or do you worry about that? We certainly don't worry about being um, too diverse. I mm-hmm. think you know the more the merrier. Especially as you know as we expand globally, uh, yeah, it's going to be wonderful when we have people born in you know countries all over the world who are you know on the do something staff. Um, you know what I think. In terms of hiring for diversity, it's all about what channels you're using. And so if you decide that you need more racial diversity, then, you know, figure out what are those pipelines, you know, and you're talking to, you know, historically black colleges and universities, um, or you're tapping into some of the amazing, like, African-American societies at colleges across the country. Um, if you, you know, think you need more, you know, political diversity, it's like, what? who ran the, you know, college Republicans on their campuses for the last five years? You know, go get them to get them on board. Um, there's always places and networks that you can tap into. Um, and I think one of the best places to start, of course, is your own employees. So look to the amazing diversity that your own employees have and see if their networks are similarly diverse. So going after Republicans, I don't know if we want to go that far, but there we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. I'm, I'm now intrigued because I'm just sitting here listening to you and, and listen to the cadence of how you speak and the way in which you speak and very, very impressed. Not that, that uh, you need that from me, but nonetheless impressed. And what, what did you study in school? Um, economics and political science. Ah, well, another poli sci. See, I was government international affairs myself, but I went on and worked in the House and Senate and did political campaigns. And you're making very a, cool. But you're making a bunch much bigger impact because you actually get you're doing something, as you say. What and and so how did you first get involved with the organization? Because you've been there a long time, as you mentioned before. So, you know what? I very easily could have gone the political route. I was very political as a you know, middle school and high school student and sort of through college, and that definitely occurred to me. And I have to admit, my choice of career was unbelievably selfish. I knew that those political jobs just didn't sound as much fun. They sounded boring, or I I thought I'd burn out, or being a political candidate sounded terrible. Um, And I, I, I looked. I wanted to find a job that I really enjoyed, both sort of the day-to-day work that I was doing, and also, of course, the the impact that I was making on the world. So I knew straight out of school that I wanted to try my hand at a not-for-profit. 
all of my sort of fellow econ major friends were going off to consulting firms, BCG and McKinsey and all those things. And they thought that not-for-profits were inefficient and ineffective. And I am stubborn. So I wanted to prove them wrong. Um, and I'm actually pretty lucky because I found you something right out of school um, and just sort of worked worked my way up and sort of can't believe that 11 years later, here we are, a 50-person you know, plus organization with 5 million members. Yeah, and you, you did work your way up. Where did you start and then what was your progression? Yeah, so I started as an associate on the campaigns team, and we, we still run campaigns today, um, why it's just sort of fun to have that thread running through. But as anyone who's at a six-person startup will tell you, um, when I started, I did everything. Um, you know, I directed a PSA with Nick Cannon, another one with the Jodas Brothers. I was writing content for the website, even though I'm a horrible writer. Um, I was creating marketing partnerships, you know, strategic partnerships with our organizations. You, you do everything, which is also great because you learn a lot of skills. Um, yeah. yeah, and so, you know, I uh, sort of moved into business development um, and eventually overseeing the marketing and finance team. And I've, I've been the COO at Do Something for the last five years until our um, previous CEO, Nancy Loblin, who is an amazing mentor to me, um, she moved on this past uh, November. And then I took over the reign. Which piece of the business do you like the most? Oh, I can't, I can't lie. Um, business development. I yeah. just love forming partnerships with brands that uh, really want to reach and activate young people and see the value in speaking authentically to this to this generation about uh, about social change, which is something they really care about. Yeah, if you'd asked me which one I had to pick for you, I would have said business development. You can hear it. <laughs> your, you can hear it in your voice. You, you can hear it when you talk about it and the way in which you talk. And if you if you're a good listener, as most good business people should be you can hear people give give those tales away and that's <laughs> there you cool. go it's a good tale it's a good tale hey speaking of tales i got to talk about duncan uh, which i love too today we're talking about important issues facing nonprofits as they work to promote social change and our friends at duncan are advocates for social movements which is why they're proud to be the very first national brand to sell espresso beverages made exclusively of fair trade certified espresso beans i didn't know that i just that's something new i just learned uh, that makes me, it does, that makes me happy. So I like that. So uh, anyone who listens to the shows know how much I love Dunkin' uh, Espresso because I have like uh, eight of them a day. And um, all business with Jeffrey Hazlett in America runs on, of course, now we just learned, uh, fair trade certified Dunkin' Espresso. Hey, that's pretty cool. Um, what's the best campaign that you guys have ever run? Whew, now that is like picking a, a favorite child. child. Yeah, so, I got it. So I it is it. a little tough. But the campaign that I'll spotlight is one that uh, does have a special place in my heart. It's called Give a Spit about cancer. And it is a campaign trying to get young people signed up for the bone marrow registry. Mm. Um, and the background on that is that people with leukemia or blood cancers often need bone marrow transplants and they yep. need to find matches. Um, and the actually unfortunate truth is that if you're white, it's pretty easy to find a match just on the general registry. Um, but if you are any uh, minority or have like a, a very mixed background, if you're, you know, half from Puerto Rico and half from Italy, um, you actually have to find a match who's half Puerto Rican and half Italian. And so it makes it much more difficult for you to find someone who's a 10 out of 10 bone marrow match. And so we ran this campaign, Give a Spit, about cancer on college campuses to get young people signed up for the registry because all it takes is a swab of your cheek. It's super easy. Um, and we specifically targeted groups um, with young people of color um, and, again, African-American student societies and that sort of thing so we could get more diversity on this list because, obviously, anyone who wants a bone marrow transplant should be able to get one. 
And we had tens of thousands of young people sign up for this list, and the, the goodness will keep coming. But already we've had over um, 80 life-saving matches, which I just feel really incredible about. That's really that's really cool. So do, do, when they have a campaign like that, does it end or does it have a life that keeps going? So that campaign is, is ongoing, and so at different times, you know, we will pop it up and have sort of a big tentpole event around it, but that campaign in particular you can do on our site at any time. Mm, that's cool. How about, is there, I, the one I liked was Band Together. And the, oh, yeah. I, I, and I like it. Not, I'm not a, a big music person, but my, my family is, and, you know, I, and they perform and they sing, and, and then there's got to be people like me who are listeners, you know. And I'm a listener, but I just, you know, they've cut so much music programs and art out of schools. I thought this was a really great way of, of, of bringing that back, and you guys did a really super good job. Is there, is there another program that you think of that, that you really liked as well? You know what I really loved, and then this is sort of totally on the opposite end of the spectrum of, of, of Give a Spit, um, because it's, it's really a scale play, but this past summer we ran a campaign called GTFO, and GTFO is a acronym. I won't tell you what it usually stands for, but in this case, it stood for um, Get the Filter Out, yeah. and it was an anti-tobacco campaign that we did with Truth Initiative, and um, the facts about teen smoking are actually pretty phenomenal in the sense that we now know that cigarette smoking is obviously horrible for your health, but the good news is that teen smoking has dropped from 32% to under 10%, wow. and we want to finish it, honestly. You know, 8%, 9%, 10% is great, but let's get it to zero. So we ran this campaign with them, GTFO, that was all about picking up cigarette butts on, you know, parks, beaches, public places, train stations, and our young people collected over 4 million of these disgusting cigarette butts. I don't know why people think it's okay to litter them when it's not okay to litter anything. And, um, and by the way, I want to say amen to that. I, yeah. I, it's, why it's, is that okay? It's not okay. You know what? I, I Now you got me in a rant. Because I used to own a, well, I own a number of buildings um, back home in South Dakota, and I had an office building, and I would go out, and I like to keep the gutters clean and keep the sidewalks clean. And I was right on a corner, and these people would drive up at the red light and flick their butts out the window. You know, and, and many times, right when I was cleaning them up, it used to tick me off. But go, go ahead, because I think this yeah, is Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, and so we wanted to, and they took um, pictures of these, like, plastic bags filled with cigarette butts, posted them on social media, and yeah. it was a two-fold campaign. It was good for the environment, um, and also it was, you know, teens and college students showing their peers that this is not okay, and we want to put an end to this. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. What is there a big one that you got coming up soon? Another oh, wow. We, yeah, we're really, really excited. Um, this coming March, we're launching uh, what we call a big bet um, around gun violence prevention. Um, and we're specifically noticed that I didn't think on control. Gun violence prevention. We can all agree, uh, no matter what your political stripes are, that we want less gun violence and so figuring out how to prevent it. Um, and specifically, young people uh, are saying that they don't want guns on their high school campuses, on their college campuses. They don't want guns at their schools. Um, and so we're running a big campaign. It's, uh, it is yet to be announced, the exact call to action. So I will leave your listeners um, on their toes. Um, but this coming March, we're pretty excited about this initiative we're doing on uh, gun violence prevention. Oh, that's great. All right. Hey, listen, I want to uh, make some transition here because I want to get onto the, what I call the rapid fire questions. This is a couple of questions that we dig up 
just to kind of educate us all. And chances are you're not going to know the answers to them. Um, Uh-oh. Yep, that's just the way it works. And it's just meant for me to um, embarrass you a little bit, embarrass myself. But at the same time, we learn something new. Okay, so here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. I, I, you, you might get these. I don't know. According to the National Center for Charitable Statistics, how many registered nonprofits are there in the U.S. alone? Mm, 1.6 million. Oh, whoa, you were so close. It, my, my number says 1.5, but I'm going to give it to you. Because All right. I'm going to give that to you. That was pretty good. Okay, this one, this was a little tougher. And I, I was astounded by this, but I'm not astounded because years and years ago, I put in a bill uh, with the state senator and the South Dakota legislature about making nonprofits report their uh, how they made the money and how they raised it and how they spent it. Um, just because there were, I used to get all these calls late at night, you know what they are, these boardroom operations, and they would call and call and call. And I, I just wondered, well, is this a real business or are these guys really doing good nonprofit work? And so we found out. What's the percentage of nonprofits account for 90% of the total reported revenue? So, so okay, say it again. What percent what of percentage? not-for-profits yep. count for 90% of reported revenue? Yep. Whew, I know this because I teach a class at NYU on the business of nonprofit management, and this is one of the questions I gave my students. So this is very embarrassing. <sighs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go ten percent. It's not that high. I thought oh, it. Was, I thought it would. Yeah, no, it's like two point two five. Ah! Oh my God! Like literally, that was a test question. Don't don't tell any of my students that I <laughs> that I botched that. that. That's embarrassing. That's okay. That's okay. Now you're a New Yorker, all right? So what? is the only Brooklyn neighborhood that shares its name with a Disney movie. <laughs> oh, God, now this is really is a, is a curveball. A Disney movie, Brooklyn neighborhood. Yep, what, what's the only Brooklyn neighborhood that shares its name with a Disney movie? Um, I'm just like, I'm like Coney Island, Williamsburg. Uh, you're going to kick yourself. You're going to kick yourself. You ready for the answer? Yeah. Dumbo. Ah, seriously, so good, yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, what's I forget what what's what's Dumbo stand for? It's down under down under the Manhattan Bridge overpass. There you go, right there. That's it. Um, I didn't know what it stood for. I remember my daughter telling me that she's she she takes me around New York all the time. We you know we live here, but um, but I still don't know everything, and she's always telling me what's what. Okay, this is also a New York City question. I'm totally out of the blue. What very popular stage musical is set in New York City? but based on a Shakespeare play. Set in New York City, but based... Well, I haven't seen this. Like what? Rent? I don't know. No, West Side Story. Oh, yeah. ah, good yeah. one. Oh, it's, my mom will kill me. She's yeah. a big Broadway person, and so am I. <laughs> well, that's what we like to ask. Okay, now, this is one. This is another Inside New Yorker one, and oh, God. I, I blew this one. I, I had no idea oh. on this one. I did guess West Side Story I got. Um, I wouldn't have got Dumbo because I would have forgot. But but anyway, it makes sense. Okay, fill in the blanks in the message on this iconic Greek Anthoria coffee cup. So this is a coffee cup that you pretty much get anywhere you go in New York. Okay, it's a white paper cup with blue lettering and gold, and it says, "We are blank to blank you." First of all, I don't drink coffee, but I'm uh, just going to say, I don't know, proud to serve you? It's pretty close. It's, we're happy to serve you. 
So it's happy oh. and serve. And then we did that because, you know, do something. And yeah, no, I get it. People. Oh, my God. These yeah. rapid fire questions are so embarrassing. This is like Jeopardy with my husband. Uh, I'm just losing just as badly. It's okay. It's fun. It's what's fun. See, because now we learn something. And if you learn something every day, that's a pretty good deal. Hey, I want to give you, I want to give you a chance. I, I mean, the whole show's been a little bit of a shameless plug for you, but but I, it's such a good plug. Is there something that I can give you a shameless plug for that you just just give it out, shout it out? You know what? I will say I don't know if this is a shameless plug, but we're holding our annual meeting March eighth in New York City, and it's a half day, and it's totally free, and we give the secrets away of how do something is so successful in activating young people. And so we we like to tell all of the sort of not for profits out there, social enterprises, or brands who care about young people, um, come on down on March eighth. Uh, you have to RSVP, so they have to email me to to find out the details. But they would love to have them at our event because um, we like sharing the the goodness that we uh, learn every day. I love that. I love that. Great way to get involved. You know what? I think we were even going to put this episode even further than that. I'm going to move it up so that we can get it out there and get the word out. So we'll do that. Love for it. You. Yeah. Hey, awesome. it's, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for being uh, and doing what you do every single day because it, 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 you're making an impact and that's really cool. And you got, look at that. You got over 5 million people who are helping you do it. And that's, that's fantastic. Well, I'm so excited that all the young people in your office convinced you that, uh, that it was worth doing. <laughs> well, they, they, they would sit on me until I would do it, and now I'm so glad that I did. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Cheers. Taking you behind the scenes of what's happening in the business world, Jeffrey Hazlett hosts All Business, brought to you by Fortinet. Hey, and every single show I always like to talk about what I learn and whether you're in a non-profit or a for-profit and if you're in business by gosh uh, you better be in a for-profit business because if you are not making money and you're not growing you're dying and I don't want to see that in your business that means you're you're losing and if you're losing get out of it stop it right now because you've got to make money but in a non-for-profit I thought I'd ask her this one question on measuring success, and she, she answered it the exact same way I would do it if I was in a for-profit business, and I thought that was absolutely wonderful. She talked, she talked about the things that she did in terms of determining conditions of satisfaction, the number of people that were involved, which will then now we know they have over 5 million people. Fantastic. And then the impact, the impact of the projects and campaigns that they run. So that's how they measure success. So let me ask you a question. How do you measure your success? And by the way, you can do that with your family. You can do that with your friends. You can do it with your spiritual life. You can do it with your business. So think about how you measure success every single day. Hey, this has been Jeffrey Hazlett. This has been All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. And don't forget to please, please, please tell your friends because it is the word of mouth that gets us out and telling people, um, you know, that we're all business right here. Hey, thanks again. Talk to you later. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.